morning, Jean. Here's your coffee and your mustache wax. Ready for today's Critics Corner segment? Oh, I love it when there's only one movie to review. Makes my job easy like a Sunday morning, which is maybe not the best example of easiness since I take all those pancakes for the homeless down at the church each weekend. But still, um, I think you mean you make pancakes for the homeless. I know what I said. But wait, you're only reviewing one movie? I'm not so sure about that. I think I know my business, sir. You're an assistant, okay? So assist me, goddammit. In fact, I could use your help on Sunday. Meet me in Crown Heights with your biggest syrup-resistant bag. No, I mean, I was under the impression you were reviewing two movies this morning. Nope. Just the Iron Giant dick, which was an eye-opening experience, if you know what I mean. Um, not really... Because a penis tip is like a giant eye. Anyway, I don't normally go in for the really graphic stuff, but the mechanics of this thing were beautiful. No, I mean the title. Yeah, I know what you mean. I would have gone with Robocock myself, but... Uh, no, I mean, those are all the right words, but that's not the title of a movie. Oh, yes, I see my mistake. Always a stickler for punctuation, aren't you? But this time, it doesn't make me want to punch you in the goddamn mouth. Now, this time, you've really done me a service. Let me fix that. And yes, you're right. I, comma, Ron Giant Dick does make more sense, especially considering that it was based on Ron Jeremy's childhood science project. No, Gene, what I'm saying is you're reviewing two different movies with two separate titles, and neither of them are about the origin of Ron Jeremy's large robotic penis. Well, I'll grant you, it's not the only movie about the origin of Ron Jeremy's large robotic penis, but Squirms of Endearment is so 1985, don't you think? Jesus, Gene, there are two different movies in theaters right now. One is called Just Dick, and the other is a cartoon called The Iron Giant. Now, how are you going to review those? Easy. Just Dick the Iron Giant? <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Cut, print, check the gate. What gate? Check it, I says! Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. Welcome to episode 57 of Opening Weekend, home of the stupidest cold opening since, well, you know, whatever I did last week. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa, and this week we travel back to August 3rd, 1999, and the release of Brad Bird's The Iron Giant, a Warner Brothers animated feature starring Jennifer Aniston, Harry Connick Jr., and Vin Diesel in his greatest performance, and Andrew Fleming's Dick a whimsical comedy about the unlikely identity of Watergate informant Deep Throat, starring Kirsten Dunst, Michelle Williams, and a roster of brilliant comic actors, including Dan Hedaya of Cheers fame as a beleaguered Richard Nixon. But before we get to the week's films, Fred and Dan, where were you guys in August of 1999? I, you know what I was doing? Tell me. I don't know. Tell me. My, I was in my first couple of months having just moved to New York to... Of all places, the Sharma P. Sharma uh, extravaganza. Pavilion. Pavilion. <laughs> Sharma P. Sharma Pavilion. 3652 32nd, 32nd Street. Street. Oh, now, for the, now, for the listeners who don't know who Sharma P. Sharma is, 
Could you explain? That's our old landlord in uh, Astoria, Long Island. Sharma P. Sharma. He and his uh, uh, wife and their son were our landlords for a long time. And uh, uh, he uh, he actually, (laughs) when I met him, he was like, oh, I own. He's like, where are you from? Uh, You know, uh, I said, I'm from Island, New Jersey. He said, oh, I own three properties there. So he actually owned properties on on, uh, the main drag of my of my town, Oak Tree Road. Um, Lovely uh, 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 Indian man. And he. He um, uh, was the owner and uh, he was a contractor as well, although you wouldn't know it from the interior of the place. <laughs> it was a little bit run down. Now that I had, I at this time was living there with my um, grad school yeah. buddies, Jamie and Dennis. So when did you join me there? Was it a year, two years after? It was like, it was like Christmas time of 2001 that I was okay. there. I, that, but that's when I was like sleeping on the couch. I didn't have a room until I guess January of 2002. Yeah, we didn't want I you to have was, one. We, I know. You didn't deserve was, one. No, I mean, but I was kind of like <laughs> crashing on the fold out yes. for a few weeks until I guess it was, I don't remember if it was Jamie or Dennis. I don't know who left that room, that smaller room. I think, next to oh boy, I think Jamie left and Dennis stayed for a while and then Dennis left, J- uh, Jeremy came in, then Bob came in and then it was the four of us. But um, was this uh, time, is this around the time that we did one of our showcases? Or was that later? That was, I think that was 2000. I think it was the next year that we did that. Oh, I'm pretty sure. Because you know my fond, my fondest memory of that apartment, and I don't know if we've talked about this oh, on, yeah. on the podcast. Oh, please do. But, but and, and maybe this is jumping ahead, I don't know. But I just love that apartment. You know, I spent so much time in that apartment with you guys, and I never lived there, but I, I felt like I was, you know, in and out a lot. It was a party house. Yeah, but I remember we were working on a showcase, the three of us, and we were, like, producing it with some other people. That was when I first met Bob. And I just remember us sitting in the living room. <laughs> it, it was in the daytime, and we were eating, we ordered Chinese food. Chinese Consummate food. professionals. And Consummate. We were sitting there, we were, we were filling out our postcards for people who are listening to don't know we were doing a, it was like an acting showcase and we were inviting agents and casting directors to come and we would do scenes and monologues and whatnot and and <laughs> and we were sitting there writing postcards we had lists of people mm-hmm. that we were going to call so this is the day that we were going to cold call and be like hey we sent you a postcard yeah it was our Are follow-up you be there for the follow-up yeah. and i remember being on the phone with like some you know joe schmo from william morris or some bigger <laughs> endeavor and I look over oh, and Dan is either naked or half naked. And because yeah. we had ordered Chinese food and you're God. trying to eat your own testicles with a pair of chopsticks. You won the contest. With a pair of chopsticks. As I'm talking. While Fred's trying to make a call to a professional. Oh, God. Because we were so slap happy at that point. Uh, yeah. So that's when I think about that apartment, I think of you with your, your balls in between a pair of chopsticks. And now we know why you're on Broadway and why Jason has done a ton of off-Broadway and you've both done television and films and I'm sitting in Peoria. This is why. And also why we both love Chinese food so much. Well, that goes without saying. It's the, it's the saltiness, am I right? Oh my God. I've never seen anything like this. I was a consummate professional. No, I just wanted to see, I want to to watch you try to struggle to talk to, you know. And I did. The Gage Group or whoever while while I was trying to, uh, to uh, uh, do that. The Gage Group. <laughs> I just wanted to. She's like, oh, thank God I was on with Meg Pantera, the agency. <laughs> the that was agency. a close one. I think that's what it's called. Meg that's Pantera right. dash the agency. The agency. The agency. Meg yep. Pantera, the movie. These are all important people that I was trying to screw you up with. Um, no, I had just moved in there in May. Just, I mean, like, wow. because I graduated in 98, May of 98, and it was about a year 
You know what? Yeah, I, you were in New might, Jersey for it. May have been it. Now that I think of it, it it may have been late ninety nine. Like right at this time, at this exact time, we were getting ready to move into that mm. place. Is probably what it was because I had just come back from my first equity contract, which was doing Winter's Tale, the show I'm doing right now down in oh, Florida. Wow. That was in 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 spring of ninety nine. I did something in the in the summer in the in the uh, at the fringe festival, I think. And then, um, uh, yeah. And so we were getting ready to move into what became the, the party house of all time, where we had many, many Quattro de Mayo parties, which would fall on the 4th of May instead of the 5th of May. And, um, some, uh, legendary, legendary, legendary Halloween parties. And then Jason, yes, you moved in. Why did you not move in with us, Fred? Why did that not happen? Uh, dignity. Uh, no, I don't know because I, I had my own place because I, I was living on the low. I, I yeah. really lucked into this great apartment. Hell's Kitchen? No, no, no. I was never lived in Hell's Kitchen. I oh, lived, oh, oh. I was on the Lower East Side oh, at this oh, point. Oh, right. And I really, I, I just, my, my cousin, Karen, rest her soul, passed away a couple of years ago. She, um, she lived in, uh, in a building in the Lower East Side. She had a friend who lived in a building up the block. The friend had a friend who's like father used to live in this building and the father passed away and she was renting it out. So it was like this whole, like, you know, this person knew this person knew this person, this person. Mm. And then, you know, one day my dad was like, Hey, cousin Karen knows someone uh, who has an apartment. You want to go look. And I never been to, this is before the lower East side really became like the place to live. And um, so it was on Grand and East Broadway. And yeah, and I got, it was a great location. Yeah. You were there before. And it was, it was like a really nice size studio. I remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You were there. And I, cause I, I was, I was, God, I was paying like $500 a month for it or something. And it was, it was nothing. elevator building. And, um, and you were not with Pulaski at this time. No, this was after place. I moved out. Yeah. That. So okay. this was, so that's why, I mean, I, I had my own place and it was, you know, j- just by happenstance and luck. So, and also you guys never asked me to move in there to oh, Queens. So. Well, we kind of begged to move in there. We were, you know, <laughs> Jeremy had moved in. And then Bob and I, I think Bob and I were looking for a place together at one point because we, I remember we filled out a couple of applications to like live together, just the two of us somewhere. Ah, okay. And then it was like, you know, stuff wasn't very, and then we knew, you had said Jamie and Dennis were moving out and we were like, that place is so big. It it was like, I wonder if it could work, you know, But, but, but it was really just a three bedroom, but you had those two big Basically, you had a living room and a dining room. And so it was like, so the dining room became the living room and the living room became Bob's room. And that's That's how that worked. We like started, we kind of brainstormed. We got together and brainstormed, like, how would we make this work? Because then, you know, that also, I mean, I think the rent was pretty decent there but i and then when you drop yeah, it down it by a fourth it was yeah. like oh my god you know we it just was crushing great it. for everybody um, yeah i think it was 400 and change a piece i think it, it, it was yes, exactly. 1650 for that place yeah, it was the that was the most <gasps> fun i know we weren't there yet it was oh, 99 god. i wasn't there yet but it was but that was the most fun when it was the just that combination of the four personalities and stuff we would you'd throw on a movie and or throw on a something and we would basically oh, do yeah. what we're doing now and just sort of riff on it and just yeah. and just yeah, the best have fun in time i know yeah, i can think of good. so many movies and, th- and even to, not even just movie i remember when howard dean was like like <laughs> it ruined his, his thing ruined his career <laughs> there and i remember being on the couch with i think you were home too i know 
Jeremy was there and we're sitting there watching Crying. it. And Jeremy's like, oh, that's done. I mean, he <laughs> called it right there. He was like, he was like, he's like, that guy's not coming back from that. I was like, oh, well, come on. You know, he just, he screamed funny. He was like, nope. He could smell it. He was like, it was done. Wow. We should have absolutely just said, leave your idyllic, wonderful, spacious studio that you're crushing it in Manhattan and come out to Queens to Astoria and be with us. It's better to be the fun guest, like the, the neighbor, yeah, like the Larry. You can <laughs> company sauntering over from the Regal Beagle to have a beverage come with us. That's how I saw myself as. Dan was uh, Jack Tripper. Yes. You were obviously Suzanne Summers, Jason. And- Absolutely, because of my my masterful thighs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly that apartment meant a lot to Fred because his his wedding announcement, his save the date, was a photo taken in that apartment. That's uh, right, yeah. That's how much he loved our <laughs> uh, Around this time, Kate and right. I were coming up on almost a year, actually, Yay. together. Yeah, and we were having... Yeah, it was fun. I, I mentioned this on another podcast. Kate's got, she's kept calendars for, you know, going dating back to the 80s as sort of like journals. And we were looking through. I'm like, what were we doing around this time? And, you know, we've t- we talked about this on a couple other episodes. Like, yeah, this was like a really fun time. It was a fun New York City time where we were just like, we just, because this was a couple my birthday is the end of July, and for my birthday, she would got me a ticket. We saw Hedwig and the Angry Inch, the original one off Broadway. Um, like, we'd just seen that. I was looking through. We were just going to see all these movies. We saw The Blair Witch Project just a couple mm. days before this at the Angelica, which fucking traumatized me. Um, you know what I was doing this very week? Um, I, I had a crazy day where I was I did a commercial. I mean, this was— this was fun, but in retrospect, I sort of screwed the pooch with it. Mm-hmm. I filmed a commercial and I did a reading of a new play with Stephen Lang and Donna Murphy, directed by Austin Pendleton. Jesus. Uh, both in the same day. And I, and I remember, the, and the reason I bring it up, because it was nuts. And I got cast in this reading of a new play and and it was being directed by Austin Pendleton, who I always remember. I went to audition for him. I went to this guy, this, the, the, the writer's house. And oh, Austin I Pendleton, love this story. I remember he, this. He was lying on a couch under <laughs> yes. a blue blankie. And, and he never got He's up. cuddled up. Yeah, he was cuddled. That's awesome. And he was like all snuggled up. And yeah, you've worked with him before. I worked with him a couple of years ago. He's the same. He's... he's the loveliest human being and utterly inscrutable. Aww. His behavior is, Aww. it's wonderful, wonderfully mad. I mean, he'll just, ta- <laughs> he takes drinks out of your hand. He reaches into your bag, takes food. He like, <laughs> he's just. Wonderful. He's just, he's just. Wonderful. He's such a character. I can just, I absolutely can see him like lying under a blanket during your yeah. audition. Dave, I remember it's the writer's name swaddled. was David. He's like, so we're going to go. It was in his apartment. He's like, so we're going to go into the room and, and Austin will be there and you can, you know, do the monologue. And it's like, great. And I walked in and yeah, he was on the other side of the room, just like on a, I remember it was a blue, it wasn't a blanket. It was a blankie. That's the only way I can describe it. And I was like, hi, how are you? And he was so sweet. He's like, it's very nice to meet you. He never got up to shake my, or I might've gone over, but he didn't. Get up from under the blankie, uh, and I did the monologue. <laughs> and you know, from under the blankie, he offered me the job, and uh, and I was like, great. But then we ended up doing it, so it was scheduled for a couple of weeks down, and 
I was the lead role and it was going to be done at Manhattan Theater Club and Stephen Lang was in it. He was going to play like my uncle and Donna Murphy was my mom. There's all these other wow. people I'm sure I'm forgetting. And I didn't really know who either those folks were at the time. I didn't realize, you know, the pedigree <laughs> that Stephen Lang has, let alone Donna Murphy. But then I got cast in this commercial for a toy company uh, called the Autobots. And I was Stan the Automan. And I remember for the audition, I had to do, do you remember there was these, I think it was FedEx and it was a guy who talked really yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yes. It was that. They're like, they wanted somebody who could talk really fast with a teleprompter. The problem was, and I, it was two commercials. It was filming the same day as that reading. Oh shit. And I didn't know oh, what no. to do and oh, no. whatever. Long, boring story short. I figured out that I'll have a lunch break when I'm filming it. And on the lunch break, I will hop on my bike, ride uptown and do, cause we, we were, we were filming downtown. I'm like, and I will do the reading. Um, and I remember oh. I rode up there and Kate was waiting for me. I'm at theater club. I changed real quick. I went to the bathroom. We did the reading. And of course the reading took too long, <gasps> but I felt awful. So I showed up back on set and I was, I was so late oh, no. and they didn't say anything. You know, because they were filming up several commercials that day, but I felt like such a heel because wow. some somewhere in my head I thought that I can make it work. Madness. Uh, mm. Yeah, it was madness. Wow. But at that time, it was like I didn't want to say no to anything. I don't want to give anything up. Oh, good. St Stan, the auto tech man is back. Good, he's back on set. Wait, <laughs> why is he wearing a blankie? Why is he wearing Austin Pendleton's blankie? Oh God, I took it from the reading. Oh, God. Oh, wait, no, uh. shake that out. Austin Pendleton. <laughs> Would you like to be in an Autobot commercial? You're the well, Autotech um, man. Sure. What were you doing, Jason? Uh, who knows? I, I, I don't. I, I, it was, uh, this was that time that was very kind of hazy to me. Like, I, I remember rather inconsequential things. It was, uh, I was wrapping, this was the, the very tail end of my time with Jekyll and Hyde Club. I was just about I had one and a half feet out of that place I was so tired of it at that point and I think I was doing guys and dolls at that dinner theater in Jersey where I had oh been gosh. doing all, all in the family, all in the family. And the, yeah so I mean so I was yeah I can remember like the kind of the things I was doing but I just remember it being a kind of very what am I doing with my life mm -hmm. period of time and um and I went to the movies a lot went to, uh, saw everything <laughs> I mean this is like where you know that time of my life where I'd go like at least twice a week to the movies. And, and I was thinking, I was like, Oh, this was probably, I was probably still going to see Phantom Menace in the theaters at this point. Cause I saw Ooh. it a bunch of times that summer. Ooh. That was that weird summer where, well, all of those movies where it was like, it's star Wars. It's gotta be good. Bob talks about it a lot. Bob and Jeremy talk about how when they lived before they moved in with you, obviously when they, when mm -hmm. that movie came out and they lived on the uh, lower East side, they went and saw that thing in the movie theater. They were right near Union Square and they would, they went again and again and again. And sometimes uh -huh. they're like, well, I guess maybe it was just for the air conditioning, but it's really, <laughs> it's to say, but it was also, it was at the time I was like, I really did. I, I, I remember I saw that. I saw it like a lot of us did. Maybe all of us did. I saw it what, the day it opened at the Ziegfeld. Yeah. We all went to the Ziegfeld together. But I also saw it. it the day it left the Ziegfeld. I oh, saw wow. it the final, which was like the end of August. 
of 99 and like it was going to leave something. I don't know what was a jawbreaker or some piece of shit was coming into the <laughs> Ziegfeld after it. And I was like, oh, well, last chance to see it on the big screen. I was like, why? For, for what? Why was I? That sh- is the greatest sign. Yeah, now you know why you time. were depressed. <laughs> That's why you were depressed. Not the sign of it. It's the cause of it. It's like, music going home. Music people going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Better dead here than in the planet core. Oh. What's a Misa saying? I'm not even doing the voice. I can't even muster the voice. Did you work but, that into Brewster Device over at Jekyll and Hyde oh, at all? Was might, he starting yes, to say sure Misa this and that? <laughs> Misa would like to Misa serve horny. you the um, Misa <laughs> horny. <laughs> Misa horny. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. No, but it was. Oh, yeah. I was so. Yeah, it was, it was like a dark time. And I remember thinking how ridiculous it was, like being in those costumes from Jekyll and Hyde. And be, I didn't smoke, but it felt like my memories are that I'm out on the street smoking a cigarette. I never smoked in my life, but it feels like I'm in the costume out in an alley smoking. Like, Pissed off. Is my break, yeah. yeah, is my break over yet? You were just, to, you were, you were dicking around. I you were just really? Dicking around. We were all just dicking around at that time. <laughs> you know, just big swinging, swinging. dicks in the city. Doing our thing. Eating them while we're on the phone with agents. <laughs> yeah, playing with our dicks, talking to agents, being dicks to people trying to make commercials, and dicking around dicking outside around. of Jekyll and Hyde's. So, the Iron Giant. No. <laughs> you know what it is. It's dick. I've got a way with young people. They trust me. They knew he was big. Call me dick. Guess what happened up? They knew he was powerful. How would you two be interested in being official White House dog walkers? What do you think? Again? They must never let him out. And they thought they could trust him. Who the hell are you? Oh, why were they shredding all that paper? Paper mache is a hobby of mine. But that was before they learned the truth. We heard that tape. What'd you hear? You kid checkers, you're a bad man. We've got problems. Betsy, played by Kirsten Dunst, and Arlene, played by Michelle Williams, are two sweet and innocent 15-year-old girls living in Washington, D.C. in 1972. When Betsy visits Arlene at the Watergate Hotel, where she lives with her single mother, the girls accidentally stumble into G. Gordon Liddy, played by Harry Shearer, during the Nixon administration's infamous bugging of Democratic Party headquarters. In order to keep them quiet, President Nixon, played by Dan Hedaya, appoints the girls as official White House dog walkers and then presidential youth advisors. However, when the girls learn the truth about what's going on, they take their story to famed reporters Woodward and Bernstein, here played as a pair of petty, childish competitors by Will Ferrell and Bruce McCullough, and preserve their anonymity by adopting the name of the movie Betsy's older brother got in trouble for sneaking into. Dick was marketed to the female teen demographic represented by its two young leads, even though its creators were squarely aiming their political satire at adults old enough to remember the scandal and the administration, with Hedea's sly comic performances Nixon compared favorably by critics to Anthony Hopkins' earnest take from four years earlier. This miscalculation in marketing meant that Dick made only $2.2 million over its opening weekend on its way to a total box office of only $6.3 million. Fred and Dan... What'd you guys think of Dick? 
somehow this movie over the years has utter, completely passed me by. I had never seen it, saw it this afternoon for the first time. I always knew about it. I always knew of it. I had seen, you know, uh, seen it come by on streaming services and things like that. And like, oh, yeah, that movie, that's supposed to be good. And I love Dan Hedaya and I love the two of them. Watch it this afternoon. This movie's wonderful. It's a delight. It, it's just it's yeah. just delightful. It, it is. That's exactly nailing. the word that I was thinking. I was like, delightful. Yeah, it's so delightful. I had a smile on my face. It's <laughs> delightful, um, uh, uh, which was my name back in college. No, the, the delightful private investigator. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, performance by Hedaya is terrifically funny. Yeah. This is a Ooh, satire yeah. that's firing on all cylinders. They're, they're, they're satirizing. Not only politics, not only the politics of the day and Watergate and and Nixon. And if you and if you like the book or the great movie that was made of the book, All the President's Men, mm. it's satirizing that, especially the Woodward and Bernstein yeah. relationship. There's a there's a scene that is almost lifted right from uh, right from All the President's Men, and it's the scene where where Jason Robards is saying to. Uh, Redford and Dustin Hoffman, you got to get more sources. You got to you got to nail down your sources and everything. And they do a hilarious comic take on all of those kinds mm -hmm. of scenes, as well as the 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 scenes in the uh, in the in the parking lot, which in the movie in the other movie, it's uh, the great Hal Holbrook. Right. And, the, and the, so they're spoofing that pretty directly. But also it's just a it's a, a satire of of what it's like to be a 15 year old girl yeah. in the seventies. And that's kind of my favorite thing about it because you go, the, the movie plays a sly little trick on you. It kind of, you go, Oh, it's going to be about silly kind of vapid airheads, but it is so not, it's so not at all. And it pulls that rug, you know, mm -hmm. as soon as they start, um, um, you know, n n being more than what you think, what the movie sets you up to think they're going to be and they're actually pretty forthright and they're and they're they're smart and they use their their wiliness um and their their ingenuity uh and they do actually care <laughs> about and, and, and they're and innocent my, and, about and it yeah and, they're so innocent the, about it all well that's the thing it's not like they care deeply about politics they care about how he treats his dog and yeah. they care about the cursing on the tape cursing and the fact and that he has it, an and he, he says an anti-semitic yeah. slur on the tape and and all that and they're like that's not right that's not what a yeah. president should be doing and you are immediately put in mind of the last four years that yeah. we've oh, yeah. suffered through you know and all the all the things that I, I you know, a, a, a spoof and a satire of, I mean, there already are so many, but a full on movie spoof satire of that guy's presidency is coming down the pike, I'm sure. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the, this this was really, really a lot of fun. And Hedaya, I think, fucking hits it out of the park with so this. I love good. him in Commando. I missed his commando <laughs> performance in this. It made me want to watch that all over again. The Tortellis. Of course, he's, of course he's brilliant as Nick Tortelli and in so many other things. He's lovely as the father in um, Clueless. He's lovely in that. Oh, yes. Um, yes. And he has so many lovely performances, but but this is really- uh, It's this really is, quite this is, good. That's the thing. It's like, it's not just a jokey Nixon. It's really good. We don't think that you've been completely honest with us. If this is about the Watergate nonsense, let me say once again, I had nothing to do with it, okay? It's a plot created by my enemies to disgrace me. 
Those radical muckraking bastards, Woodward and Bernstein over at the Washington Post. They're the liars here, you know. Always hiding behind the goddamn First Amendment. Well, let me tell you something. It won't protect them from me. Yeah, you buy it lock, stock, and barrel. So yeah. I, this is a high Sheila movie for me. I yeah. came in with no expectation. Oh, the other thing was, I didn't know Will Ferrell was in this. I didn't know Harry Shearer, who, who is a freaking legend of mine. This deep you know? bench, like Jim Brewer is amazing. Jim Brewer has Jim maybe Brewer's the best great. moment. It's the best he's ever been where he's in anything. Cry. Yeah, where, yeah. Where, he, like, where he realizes, which is which terrific. is so great because, and, and again, you, you said it in the intro, like, I think the movie really, if you know a lot about Watergate, Watergate. If you know Water a lot about Gates. Watergate, Water, you're going to get a lot of things because that because right. the character that he's playing, John Dean, yeah. was the attorney who who was the one who came out and was like, no, 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 you know I, what I did was wrong. He he. I yeah, think the he crisis made, of conscience. Yes, yeah. and so that moment is. <laughs> oh my God, it was so good. Betsy, Aline, wait. I would like to apologize for his actions. He's been under a lot of stress lately. It's too late for apologies. We're not friends with him anymore, period. And if you stay, you're just as bad as he is. Oh. And you have Dave Foley in there. You have Dave Foley. Dave, Dave Foley, Foley and Bruce McCullough Bruce from, McCullough Kids, from in Kids in the Hall. Kids in the Hall. He's yeah. great. Constantly with his hair. With the and, hair. And it's so funny because Hoffman, if you watch all the President Man, President yeah. Man, yeah. Dustin Hoffman has gigantic hair. It's so <laughs> yeah. funny. No, just talking about people who are great in it, uh, complete unknown. At this time, he was a baby-faced. Ryan Reynolds is he's fucking fantastic. He's hysterical. As Haldeman's he's, son, he's great. He makes the most of every single moment. Every second. I, wa I was because I saw him in the credits, and I'm like, oh, interesting. So this must have been before like <laughs> Van Wilder and all those things. Yeah. Yes, and when right. he showed up, yeah, he's totally like baby-faced. And you watch and you go, oh yeah, that guy's a star. Because every mm -hmm. moment is something and he's finding something funny. And I, I was like, wow, that's, it's, it's all there. Like this guy's always had it. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah, like, yeah, he just like needs the right vehicle. Brilliant. That's right. That really, really age. funny. <laughs> the, the button on his whole character's role is picking his ass and he's all confused. The door slams in front of his face and he's standing awkwardly at the front door and then he just picks his butt. As like yeah. a, it's like the kid, the kid knew how to put a button on, he knew what on to the do. moment. And you, and you know all that stuff was like shit that he just came up with. Of you course, know? he's inventing he was really, it. Yeah. It's he great. was great. I, I'm with you, Dan. I didn't see this movie when it came out. It's always, I'd heard that it was pretty good yeah. and it just eluded me. And... I didn't know what to expect, and I was completely, just from the first scene, because again, I was like, mm. oh, Will Ferrell's in this? And yeah. wait, Bruce McCullough from Kids in the Hall? <laughs> They're Woodward and Bernstein? And the opening was so, it was so strange. It was it was not, it was so, there was, there was something so broad about mm -hmm. it, and I, yeah. I did not think that that's where the movie was going. I didn't think it was going to be such a broad satire. Um, right. I didn't know I, either. I didn't know what to expect. And I was like, oh, they're really shooting the moon here. Right yeah. from that first scene with French Stewart. You go, okay, this is a, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a spoon. Yeah. That's yeah. great because it's really show. setting that tone. It's really saying yes. it's going to be that kind of a comedy. And you, yep. I'm sure you wouldn't think, you're thinking it's either a teen one of the teen comedies of the time, which there are a mm -hmm. lot of movies like this with like, uh, you know, young female stars of their ilk uh, or yeah. that it was going to be uh, 
you know, something more wag the dogish or something like that. Maybe. Yes. Good point. Yeah. Good one to bring not, up. It's in a different vein. It's uh, yep. and, and, and like I said, and I don't want to dissuade people from watching it because if you don't know much about water, like I, if you know about Watergate, if you know all the specific, like a lot of things are going to pop out and you'd be like, Oh, yeah. that's funny. That's supposed to be so, but you don't necessarily need to know all those nitty gritty. I, I certainly didn't, you know, I know a few things here and there, but we didn't grow up in that time. But yeah, I was like, wow, this is a really funny political satire. And Michelle Williams blew me away. She <laughs> is hysterical yeah, in it. They both I, are. They're both They're great. both really good. I, I really enjoyed them both. But Michelle Williams, I found absolutely hysterical. There's something very Jan Brady about her performance. <laughs> yeah. I I just, I couldn't take my eyes off What's of her. I thought laugh? it was... Is that la- she has that like because huh, huh. there's, there's something there's something sort of awkward yeah. about yeah. her and I love their relationship they're really funny together it was a very honest silly relationship between two 15 year old best friends who've, who've got each other's back and they're sort of misfits yep. you know they like do their own thing um but of the two of them like I don't know I couldn't I was like, wow, I'm in love with Michelle Williams. She, I thought she was so, so funny. And the whole, the, the fact that she was in love, that she falls in love, in with, love Richard with Richard Nixon that, and the dream sequence. Oh my gosh, so <laughs> funny. That might've been my favorite thing in the movie. Arlene, come away with me. But what about Pat? She understands. What about Pat? What about Pat Nixon? At one point, now, I don't know much about who who wrote it and directed it. But I was like, is this, I wonder if there's someone who's worked on kids in the hall, because at times there were moments where it, it sort yeah. of felt like a long kids feeling. in the hall sketch, yeah. which isn't a bad thing, you know, but no. kids in the hall, but there was, there was definitely like this absurd tinge. I, and I didn't even realize that Harry Shearer was G Gordon Liddy. So I guess he was doing an impersonation. Cause I remember thinking, Oh, just talk normal. Harry Shearer, just talk normal. No, that's just Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer. That's kind of like everybody. He he plays. Voice. He's got yeah. more uh, in, in the Simpsons. He's got like more. It's, it's almost like he has more colors and nuance when he's doing animation than when he does a live action thing, he gets very like, oh, right. or he's, or he's basically doing like the, the, the Simpsons newscaster all the time when he's yeah. in a movie. He's that way in that Godzilla too. The Matthew Broderick Godzilla. He's in that. Oh yeah. He's in right. that. Yeah. He plays a newscaster and he kind of talks like Kent Brockman and it's like, Oh, of course. You know, of course. But, um, yeah. He's funny. He's like, I, I mean, in spinal tap and, Mighty yeah. Wind, he's he's in his he's more natural, it's a playground yeah. that he's familiar with, but there's something right. that's a little a little stilted. And yeah, when he starts off the movie, you're like, oh. It's, yeah, I got a little nervous. Yeah. I'm like, oh no, because I was so taken aback by the opening with Will Ferrell and Bruce McCullough, thinking like, <laughs> what is going on? And then he showed up and I thought, oh no. But then everyone else uh, were like, I love Saul Rubinek as Henry Kissinger. Uh, he was so great. Funny. Love um, him. That weird, who is that weird teacher on the field trip? Oh she my was fantastic. Gosh, yeah. There were just Whoever all these is. really weird character actors but yeah like Jim Brewer did great work yeah. uh, Ryan Reynolds was great but it's really the two of them I mean you know Kristen Dunst yeah, and yeah. Michelle Williams were so good and almost to the point where 
I was like, oh, that's right. And Dan Day is in this. Like, Dan Day is great. Don't get me wrong. But I think yeah. I was so taken aback by especially Michelle Williams that he almost faded away from me. Well, he, there, it's he their movie. Out. It's their yeah. movie. You yeah. know, Nixon is yeah. a supporting character in it. But sure. um, it's really funny. There's some, yeah, like you say, the more you know about the actual Watergate stuff, the funnier certain things are, like the fact that, to explain the 18 and a half minute gap in the tape, that she records, she sings yes. Olivia Newton-John and tells, yes. tells him she loves him. And that, that, all the other illegal shit he's saying, he's got he's to gotta tape over the part with the, the 15 year old girl saying, I love you. And saying to him, yeah. he's like, well, that's what's going to fuck me. So he, yes. he blanks yeah, that he out. Erases he erases only that. He erases Hilarious. the part where the girl's singing to him. But then there's all the other illegal shit on the tape. It's really great. Um, Which is great. great. Also, because how it sets it up. Because when she start, when she first is do, leaving that message and she starts to sing, and I'm thinking, what is going what on? Is why is she yeah, singing why? Olivia? But then it all makes sense. And yeah. Kirsten Dunst comes yeah. back and she's like, you've been on there 18 and a half minutes. So that's specific. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what was missing from the tape. Uh, but what I great. love about the movie too is that for the girls, right? The, the, it's the girls. St- it's like Watergate is the backdrop for yeah. the story of these two girls. And, and, she, and Michelle Williams doesn't know who her father is. And and, and Kirsten yeah. Dunst's brother might be going off to war. And and the 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 passionate love for Richard Nixon, the crush that Michelle Williams is developing. <laughs> it's like their story, their personal day-to-day story right. is as epic and important as this gigantic event in American history. And that's yeah, how the, the way they movie, play it. It's yeah. the way they play it. And it's the way the movie tells the story. It's like this, it's the, the Watergate, Stuff is the afterthought. That's like just yeah, the backdrop happens for to be their there. personal like story, like what they yeah. went through during freshman year of high school. But we really didn't meet the president. I swear to God. Yeah, and he really did ask us to be the official White House uh-huh. dog walkers. So every lie is another brick in the pathway to hell. It's almost like Rose and Gil- Rosencrantz yes. and Guildenstern are dead. Very much, Absolutely. yes. They're wandering around in the middle of this other bigger story, having yeah. no idea that they're affecting yes. it so much. Yeah, you're exactly right, Fred. That's so I, I, two little tiny bugaboos that I have with this. I, I wanted Terry Gar to do more. Oh, she was she's great. so she's wasted. Mom. She's, she's always so wasted in everything. I feel like after Mr. Mom, the people didn't know what to do with her. And she's so yeah. good. Uh, she's wonderful. And I feel like there was stuff between maybe with her and Ted McGinley, for that matter, left on the cutting room floor. He's in it oh, so maybe. little. Yeah. And it seems like they're setting him up to be more, but they're on a headlong drive toward the end of the movie. And it's like, ah, we can't do much more with this guy. So you see him once in the van you go oh he is working for the government and yeah. then you never see him again yeah. and it's like ah there's stuff that was left out there I'll bet you I you there know. was more of a, a payoff for Terry Gar. that's what I re- I remembered there little being bit. more of one and, and there's not I noticed that when I was watching it this time I was like yeah she's got like, that oh, little scene but that's t- about it what was yeah. the other bugaboo Dan uh, what was Ted it? Ted McGinley from Happy Days didn't do more. Was that yeah, <laughs> I wanted to. I kept thinking Chachi was going to come in. I thought that Joni was going to do. There was it. no Malachi Crunch. There was a Malachi Crunch. Didn't happen. Chachi would be campaigning for Nixon now. Chachi would be yeah. all. Oh, yeah. you darn it! He would. He'd be on the. He'd be yeah. part of the team. Yeah. Um. No, I think that was it. It was just the Terry Garth. I wanted Terry Gar to do more, and I and I felt like stuff involving Ted McGinley was being set up to be more than yeah. what it ultimately wound up being but other than that i really don't have a lot of uh uh, it 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 did at first when it was like 
oh, this is where the movie's headed. Now they don't like Richard Nixon. I was like, oh, that's a little bit disappointing. I would have loved to have- <laughs> If they were the like in his corner f- the whole time. The whole time. Oh, that's that where I thought funny. it was going to go. If it and, broke and her heart when he resigned and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I thought, I was like, that might've been a cleverer way to go is to have them full on be on the Nixon team right up until the end wow. and yet causing his downfall. That's you know? but, very but interesting. He, you know, yeah. but, but I didn't- mind the way that it went ultimately ultimately i didn't because i was like oh I, you know what also is so much fun the fact that they they see him now as the betrayer yeah. And, yeah. And, and the fact that they i, I for did totally feel different like, reasons right yes, like, like for exactly. different reasons than the rest of the country exactly. and that is just as clever and i love that the two of them are different they're both not they're not just both giggly bubbly blondes they're very yeah. different they're yeah. very they have very different points very of view they have very different I'll resign the presidency, effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford will be sworn in at that hour. It's going to be different now. In this office. They'll never lie to us again. No, no president will ever resign from office again. <laughs> yeah, <you're> <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. No. After Trump? Yeah. No, no, no one will ever. They'll look at this playbook. I don't know if Democrats will. I don't know if Democrats, you know, if the blood runs differently in the liberal veins than in the conservative. But I mean, when you can like sit there and and mm-hmm. and deny and 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 smile and wave and scream and mock and bully and just and pretend like it's not it. happening and take no mm-hmm. ownership, you know, that Nixon. He took, he took, he resigned. He took the ownership. You know, there are the, yeah. people yeah. say there are good things Nixon did while he was in office. There were things, I mean, you, Nixon mm-hmm. looks like a paragon <laughs> compared <laughs> to right. fucking Donald oh, Trump. Even sincerity. to the fact that it was like, that he was like, all right, well, now I've got caught and rather than go put the country through, you know, I'm, I'm going to resign the office. It's like, there's yeah. something about it that's so, it's hard to even see him. In, like a, in modern a, context, it's, it's hard to see. Yes, it's hard to see him in the in the kind of villainous context that we're used to seeing him. When we were growing up, we were like, oh, that's the lowest of the low. Now it's like, no, that's, you know, yeah, not great, but <laughs> we've we've seen worse now. I do love the soundtrack is amazing. Of course, all these kind of, you know, great like just soundtrack. fantastic, you know, 70s music that the one that it gives me chills. It's really it's so obvious and maybe it's so on the nose. But man, Carly Simon, you're so vain so as vain. he's leaving the White House. And yeah, it's so was great. perfect. And the way they shot it, it wasn't filmed as a joke. It was it's very I don't know, I won't say it's moving, but it's um it had real impact, you know, and it yeah. was funny, but it also had like a real bottom to it, you know, at the close-ups on Dan Hedea's face, you know. And wondering what the hell is he thinking? What is what is Nixon feeling? I'm telling you, it's it's what Dan Hedaya is doing is really masterful and it is great. And you're, there's there's Absolutely. pain and confusion and and uh, a facade there as he's leaving the White House and that, you know, that those those huge waves goodbye i love i love how even yeah. the, the, the 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 weird awkward peace sign like how the origin of that comes from them showing him what peace the peace sign is it's great oh, that's right. but when he's on the helicopter and carly simon's singing you're so vain he's looking out the window and then he has this one moment where he just puts his head in his hands you know like all of that weight of like oh my, what now you're so
the movie starts with French Stewart interviewing this very broad scene of uh, mm-hmm. Woodward and Bernstein, played by, of all people, Will Ferrell and Bruce McCullough. And you're like, oh, it's that kind of movie, right? It's a silly movie. But it's mm-hmm. also, it's also, it's, it's fantastic because ultimately what this movie is saying is it took two sets of teenagers to bring down the president, these teenage girls <laughs> and these guys who act like they act right. like fucking adolescents. They're like, right. you know, like, oh, that really hurt me. You really hurt yeah. me. Well, they're all doing you smell it. Like cabbage. Yeah. Like the nonsense between them, the competition. They're just it's a genius touch that Woodward and Bernstein are played like petulant little boys, like the kinds of they, 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 it would not be out of place if those two characters were just in the classroom next to Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst, like arguing and fighting. And I think it's a, a really brilliant touches. They're, they're so at odds and in competition with one another that they can't even join forces to take a note because one has paper and one has a pen. And, and, they won't, and they pull them out and nobody hands one to the other. And it's kind of like they're at a stalemate at all times with who's going to get the credit and who's got the bigger Dick, uh, no pun intended. But anyway, the you're so vain thing. I'm thinking about that now uh, that you're bringing it, that you just brought it up. It, it really is brilliant because when you go back to the beginning of the movie, he accepts them into his office, into the White House, into his life <laughs> because of vanity, because yeah. he wants to be liked by the young. Yeah, right? yeah because yeah. he was so jealous of JFK. Yeah. There was yeah. such a jealousy of that. You know, exactly. really why good, does everyone like him? It's a very good strain running through it that he it's wants to appeal to the youth. So he gives so he like gives access <laughs> that he would never give anybody. Never give. Because he wants yeah. to be cool with the kids. Oh my <laughs> exactly. god. Exactly. And then that winds up being the the thing that brings him down. This is a pretty brilliant goddamn movie. I loved it. Oh my god! How many Sheilas? I'm going to go eight point five. I wow. really don't. I'm I'm close. I'm edging close to a nine. I, you know, I I was a nine. I thought I thought beforehand. I was like, I haven't seen this in a long time, but I think it's a nine. And then mm-hmm. I watched it, and I was like, Yeah, well, I don't know. Is it an eight point five? Is that a more realistic? (laughs) And now I'm talking about. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going back to nine. I'm like, it's a nine for me. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna do. I was gonna. I was at an eight, and now I think I'm gonna do eight point five. And most of it, I'll I'll say it again. I just I couldn't get enough of Michelle Williams. Could not get enough of her. I thought she was so. Goddamn! And now we know how good she is, and we're looking at this in retrospect after she's had like an award-winning career. At this point, it was Dawson's Creek was all you knew her from. Kirsten Dunst was the much more, I think, accomplished actress. But this was like a different version of Michelle Williams. Like I said, I just kept thinking of Jan, like that Jan Brady (laughs) way of talking. Like she's, I'm really in love with Bobby Sherman, and there was something I don't know, just so quirky about it. I couldn't. I was like, I just want to see her. I want to see this character more and more and more. And not insincere, right? Neither of them is like. No, playing the idea all. of what a goofy 15 year old girl is they're absolutely sincerely just doing it and just yeah. just believing in it well you, you know, know we it's, talked it's about great. this with mama mia last uh, episode we were oh, saying yeah. like like uh, all the the giggly you know these scenes of like women like gig like friendship yeah, and we're giggling right. and in this movie they aren't now of course these are 15 year old girls right. and and it's also part of a it's a joke like they're 
their giggliness and their frothiness is part of like a, a bigger joke. But it's also like you said, but it is it's earnest, it's sincere, it's heartfelt, it's real. And so there's nothing cloying or annoying about it or off putting. It's just charming yeah. and and, and, and it appealing, illuminates yeah. them. But yeah, but when it's the <laughs> the 20 year olds and the 50 year olds and Mamma Mia being like, oh, hey, let's have fun on the beach. It's like, oh, please <laughs> stop giggling. <laughs> Settle down, Tickers. Tickers? Hello, Hello, girls. How are you? Are these what I think they are? <laughs> Leonie, you gotta try one of these cookies. I assure you there's nothing like them in all the Soviet Union. They're called Hello Dollies. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about Mamma Mia, though. I was thinking about Pierce Brosnan. I've been listening a lot. to it a lot. I've been listening to the music a lot in the car. Good for you. Good for you both. And you're starting to edge a little closer to Dark Knight, right? With your Sheila rating? No, but I do. But I am like, it's a lot of fun. The music's a lot of fun. But what were you going to say about Pierce Brosnan? No, I was just thinking about, I've just been thinking about him singing those songs. And I think what, and maybe we talked about this. I don't know. But I think what I'm realizing, because you mentioned that what, what makes it work is that there's no hesitation. The guy cannot sing. <laughs> and it makes, it's really weird songs. Like they don't make any sense within the story, but he sells it. You know, there's never a moment where, you know, you see any insecurity. But I think what's so weird about it is he's singing these songs so full out, but it's almost like, it's like he's doing a monologue from something else. It doesn't belong in those scenes. It was almost like, okay, you have a speech. This is the speech that's written where it's, you're, you're talking to Meryl Streep and you're saying, you know, all your feelings are coming out. Now it was like an acting exercise. Like now take that out. And instead of doing that, sing this song that makes no sense for the actual scene and has no relevance to anything that's going still on. still have the same intention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what it was. That was so weird about the whole movie that they're all singing. It's like, yeah, they're, they're, the intentions are there, but they make no sense with the words coming out of their mouth. I have been in this business 52 years and I will, I've never seen anything like this. And reality is the situation. And I, I can't speak. Brosnan has always been considered a, a giant of the singing world. <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's, he's weird. Iron giant dick? And that's ironic. <laughs> and I'm not that saying that ironically say at all. Oh. Now that's a dick. What? <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Oh, yes. It's time, boys and girls, for the Iron Giant Dick. No, Iron Giant Dick. Iron Giant Dick. The Iron Dick. The Iron Giant. See anything unusual, Hogarth? <laughs> Unusual, really. So, I guess you're not gonna hurt me, huh? My own giant robot, I am the luckiest kid in America! Where'd he come from? He doesn't remember. He's like a little kid. Little, yeah. 
In this animated adaptation of Ted Hughes' Cold War fable, a giant alien robot, voiced by Vin Diesel, crash lands near the small town of Rockwell, Maine in 1957. Exploring the area, nine-year-old Hogarth Hughes discovers the robot and soon forms an unlikely friendship with the behemoth, teaching him that his sentient nature means he can choose whether to be a hero or the weapon Hogarth fears he was designed to be. When paranoid government agent Kent Mansley, voiced by Christopher McDonald of Happy Gilmore fame, becomes determined to destroy the robot, Hogarth and his friend, beatnik artist and scrap metal dealer Dean McCoppin, voiced by Harry Connick Jr. in a fashion much more pleasing and less homophobic than his turn in Independence Day, must do what they can to save the misunderstood machine. Also featuring the voice talents of Jennifer Aniston and John Mahoney, The Iron Giant was received with rapturous praise by critics upon its release as the film displayed both the humor indicative of writer-director Brad Bird's time on The Simpsons with the beating heart and action-adventure spirit of his future Pixar classics The Incredibles and Ratatouille. The film's animation was as gorgeous as its marketing was shoddy, however, as The Iron Giant was the second film of the week to be let down by its promoters. After the financial failure of Warner's animated Quest for Camelot the year before, the studio wasn't keen on cartoons and all but buried the film, coming to regret their missed opportunity once the reviews came out. The Iron Giant made $5.7 million on its opening weekend, en route to a total box office of only $23.2 million. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of the Iron Giant? Well, let me just say real quick, I never saw a quest for Camelot. I did, however, have the soundtrack because Steve Perry had a song on it oh, called oh, I Stand Alone. So I think I listened it to it once. Now, please, little, little, give us a little. I don't remember. Yeah, I promptly, I think I had, I, I bought the CD and then I promptly like chucked it out. I was like, all right, let's do it once. Good. And that's it. Uh, I love this movie. This is such a gem of a movie. It's one of my favorite animated movies of all time. It's mm -hmm. got a very special place in my heart. Uh, Kate and I came upon this movie. I, th I can't remember if we saw it in the theaters or if we saw it when it first came out. Maybe it was one of those movies that we rented. It felt like a discovery. You know, it was one of those things where, because it did, it got, it, it got buried. You know, it really, there was, there was no marketing for it at all. I was aware of it because of the, the story, The Iron Giant. And Pete Townsend of The Who was, yes, was a producer of this movie. Yeah, the credits, yeah. Yeah, he, so he recorded an album um, back in, I want to say 89, 88, 89 called the iron giant. And it was a concept album based on the story. Cool. So, which I loved, I was a big fan of that album. And so I knew the story from that album and I oh. ended up, I, I went hmm. back, I think I read the book. Uh, so I knew the whole story. Sweet. I was familiar with the characters of Hogarth and all that stuff. And it, you know, it's, it's different. They, Brad Bird took it and put it in America in the fifties. The, the original story is different. So that was a part of it. When it came out, I remember thinking, oh, that, is that the Pete Townsend album? And then I remember hearing that he had, he had done a musical with Des McEnough, a musical version, mm. who's also, I think, one of the producers of yeah. this. So I was drawn to it from that, just being a fan of the album and The Who and Pete Townsend. And 
but I, I just, I love it. And yes, it's very much, you know, we talked about uh, the Incredibles when we did the superhero episode and that was one of my favorite superhero movies. And that's one of my favorite animated movies as well. And one of the things I just, I love that retro style that Brad Bird does so oh, well. I love it. I love it's, that atomic age aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. it, I yes. can look at that all day. Exactly. Yeah. The atomic age, like the fifties red scare space, like invaders from Mars. It's great. Uh, and it's, it's got that, you know, when, when in rewatching, and I haven't seen it in a while, we used to watch it a lot with the kids. Cause like I said, it was really, Kate and I really loved it. We, whether it was in the theater or when we rented it, we were like, oh my God, how, where did this movie come from? And we would always come back to it. And, uh, rewatching it now, it took me a second cause you know, we're so used to this Pixar animation now, right. you know, and where everything is a little more three dimensional and you could see like the pores on people's faces. And this is very classic Disney animation. It's hand drawn, right? It's hand yeah, drawn. It's all hand drawn except for the Iron Giant. That's, or is it the Iron Giant? that's computer. That's computer, so which was precise. which was designed yeah. by Joe yeah. Johnston, the director. Oh, cool! Makes sense. It looks like uh, the Rocketeer helmet. The- yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it does. And, also, and atomic I was, age. And I was reading that you know one of the, the what helped the movie and the animation in a way was there wasn't a lot of money because Quest for Camelot was so bad. They were Warner was like, we're done with animation. Mm-hmm. So when they were doing this, I don't think they had a, a big budget. And Brad Bird was like, great, we're going to do it super simple and. He was doing it and he also hired like inter like kids who were at like Cal Arts or whatever, like different <laughs> animation schools. He's like, Hey, you want to work on a movie? And he sort of brought them in. And cool. apparently, like from what I was reading, it was this wonderful experience for all the animators, like young and old alike. But I really like that it's that old Disney style hand-drawn mm-hmm. animation. And oh, it yeah. works so well. You know, it's it sort of what I think Space Chimps was going for. <laughs> No, no. I mean, that's that, when we were talking well. about space chimps, we were talking about the animation. <laughs> I that that that's what it reminded me of. It kept you know. I I feel like what they were going for, in a sense, was this style of that space race. You know, Atomic Age yeah. Yeah. classic animation. They failed miserably at it. You know, it just didn't get there. You know, they they had obviously no budget, I guess, and or at least maybe maybe they didn't well, have the you people. Can't you also didn't have that. It, it, I don't think, and it's you know? also not. I mean, Brad Bird is a super genius and he's, yes. and he's, his heart is so gigantic. It's so, yeah, yeah it's yeah. so great. And Space Chimps is just stupidity, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, you know what I mean? It just doesn't have the cohesive. I mean, this is just beautiful, but that everything that guy touches, even when he makes a Mission Impossible movie, he's really right. brilliant. Yeah. He's really brilliant and funny. And right. and it's, it's all heart. It's all just, heart. I, I mean, I cried several times during this and I've seen it many times. Oh. Yeah. Oh, you have? I saw it in the okay. theater when it opened and I remember being like, oh my God, people have to see this movie. I couldn't understand why yeah. it wasn't a bigger, you know, and then I did all the reading on it too, you know, like, and it's all like yeah, it was just marketed so poorly. Um, but oh my god, I, I, I yeah. Well, I the thing about space chimps that I thought is it, what we were talking about in that episode when Dan was saying about the saying the reality or the the you know oh these the the chimps falling from a great height and and hitting a planet and you're like well something's gonna happen to you right if there's any reality here at all and that's something that's so beautiful about this movie yeah. is the, the reality. physical reality the weight yeah. of everything that it's so oh. real like the. You, it feel it. It's so funny that it is two D animation because it feels like the best three dimensional Pixar kind of animation. You, can, I mean, it's on yeah, par yeah. with 
the best of the best of the most hyper-realistic animation you can think of because everything has weight and mass. Mm-hmm. It's very tactile. You know, you the way things the way the Iron Giant touches a dead deer is as, you know, the reality. I mean, that's the old school Disney stuff. Like you say, that's like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Like everything felt so, it's like, God, it's like, it feels like people touching people, people moving through real space. And there's a fluidity to it. There's a, there's a, there's a, there, as you say, there's a weight to it. There's a, there, you know, Brad Bird, I, as you guys know, as you well know, I am a massive, massive fan of The Simpsons, as you yes, both are. Yeah, but yeah. I, I am, mm-hmm. I especially love those early seasons. And Brad Bird had so much to do with them and, and so much to do with so many of the episodes that do touch your heart and are hilarious as well and tug at your heartstrings. And yeah, that moment where he touches the deer and understands what death is. Yeah. Yeah. And then it when comes the back. Iron Giant goes to touch, Hogarth, who he thinks might be dead, and his hand Shut starts it. to oh. shake. Yeah. Holy fuck, were the st- tears streaming it's, down my face in that moment. I was like, yeah. oh my God, you can't do, I'm sorry, you can't do stuff like that with Space Chimps animation. You can't even, <laughs> you can't do it. You can, I defy you to try to fucking I, do that. I cry when I watch the Money for Nothing video. Oh. Are you kidding me? <laughs> when they're trying to install those microwave uh, ovens, sure. Custom kitchen deliveries. Delivery. Oh, God, it kills me. And their hands are. <laughs> But it's also it's also because it's a beautiful story and the characters are so great. I mean, that's, you know, first of all, you you win. You know, there's there's something very E.T. about it. You know, you can say with the little boy, you know, but it's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's such a great guy. Hogarth is such a great who plays Hogarth? He, does he ever do anything else? I don't know. I don't. No, I don't. I, I didn't remember his name. Johnny um, uh, Moivenstern. Yes, what John, was his name? Johnny Moivenstern is a, <laughs> one of the greats. <laughs> Timmy Timmy Flyman. <laughs> but he's Amanda just, Huggins. He, he's, Let's see who. <laughs> did. Okay. Go ahead. I'll, I'll look El, it's Eli something. I think oh, Eli Moivenman. Eli Harvin Maven. What's his name? Oh, let's see. I'm looking. I'm slow. Results. Eli Marienthal. Do you talk? You know, words, blah, 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 like that. Can you do that? Blah, blah, blah. Well, you get the idea anyway. See this? This is called a rock. Rock. Good. Yes! No, no, that is a tree. Rock, tree. Get it? That's right! Uh, Vin Diesel, it is the best thing he's ever done. Between Groot (laughs) and this? And not kidding, it's the best thing he's ever done. When he says, I'm not a gun, I cry. When he says, yes. he says oh, when he says Superman, yes. when he just says Superman, as he's flying oh, towards this oh, thing, he closes best. his eyes and he meets oh, the rocket, I fucking cry. God. I mean, it's, and I know, it, and it's also, it's a Superman. You know, it's, I love how they even attribute it to a human being because they're going <laughs> to, they put it through 18 different machines. <laughs> you know, I mean, it it's, it loses all. But you, but there is that, Vin Diesel does have that incredible voice that incredible yeah. he's just great he's like he, he he's just cornered the market on playing the animated gentle giant heroes you know because he's he's lovely as Groot as well he's heartbreaking as that but but I, I remember 
I remember being really surprised and happy because Vin Diesel wasn't Vin Diesel when he did this movie. He had done Saving hmm. Private Ryan. Boiler and Room, right? Wasn't that? That Boiler Room. And, and that was in the movie that he produced himself, which sort of put him into fame. So I remember uh-huh. when we saw this movie thinking, wait, Vin, like Vin Diesel, Vin the Diesel, bald guy? The indie darling who's going to be the next uh, Robert De Niro. I mean, whatever we thought at the time in 1999 right. about who Vin yeah. Diesel might become. Didn't think yeah. he was going to just drive muscle cars for, t- for 20 years yeah. and stuff. But <laughs> I should, I guess we should have, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know what I thought. Hollywood Vin snapped Diesel him up as, as happens. Yeah. You know, as yeah. Happens. What I love most, most about this movie, I, I, the, the older I get, the more crotchety I get. I don't like an action movie that has a lot of action in it. I don't want to see a lot of <laughs> editing and a lot of boom, boom, and a lot of the laser beams and the explosions and the crashing through things and stuff. There's conversation in this movie. There's yes. not, for an act for a kid action movie, there's not a hell of a lot of action. It's certainly not over actionified. There no. are scenes. There are scenes in diners. There's scenes at, at in a house and in a junkyard and in a and in a dilapidated whatever. And the and there's there's drama within you know that's what Brad Bird understands is that the 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 investment in the story takes time it takes place over many scenes and yeah. then you have action based payoffs at the end that still aren't all shoot 'em up crash 'em up no. kill 'em up you know what i mean it it's it's very it's very measured in that way and i lo- that's my favorite thing about the movie actually is that you know for a for an animated kid sci-fi retro sci-fi action movie there's not a hell of a lot of bang zoom smash crash explosion in it there's very very little of that Mm. and i i really value the movie for what it's not doing you know for 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 the steps that it takes away from you know and of and of course it is it 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 follows that it is that because of thematically what it's doing as well i was just gonna say that yeah you know essentially being an um hey you know uh what if a gun had, had a soul, right? Yeah. Which was the marketing right. <laughs> marketing thing. Well, we, the guns do have souls because we control guns so, and we all have souls. Mm-hmm. So we can make the choices that the Iron Giant made to not kill That's each other and beautiful. blow each other up. And it's a beautiful, simple, gorgeous message. And it's form meets function, right? It's what we love. It's what we love out of our movies is when form meets function and and, and what the movie is doing is what it's saying it's doing. And I, I that's my favorite thing about it. It's so, yeah, it's so simple. And it's, it, this was a great, I mean, 1999 is, is, is famously a, a, a great year for movies in general. Like it's, it's like this watershed year, but it's a great year for animation. I, it's probably, mm. I mean, this is, this is a, a year with like Iron Giant, Toy Story 2, which I think is arguably the best Toy Story movie and one of the best Ooh. Pixar's and South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut, which oh is my God, genius. This and they're all so it's wildly brilliant. different. I mean, they all yeah. look so different. They all feel so different. Yeah. They're all funny <laughs> in very different ways. Uh, yeah. But maybe South Park isn't moving per se, but uh, the other two sure as hell are. But there is in a way. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I love that movie. Kenny going to heaven. Come on. Oh, there, you makes me yeah. there you go. That's so Toy Story boots. 3 is my favorite, I think, out of those. Yeah. Is I it? love Toy Story no, 3. The second one. I love the Jesse. They're all great. They're all great. Jesse, that story. That, that is song. That the, which just one has song, Kelsey Grammer in it? That's two. That's this uh, Toy he's Story 2. Where he's the prospector. He never gets out of the box. And, and, right, 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 right. No, they're, <laughs> they're all great. Even Toy Story 4 is great. I mean, it's a, kind of amazing how 
how good all of those are. But I remember having such a warm spot for the second. But anyway, my point is, is just so interesting. What a what a stellar year for animation this was. Wow. When yeah. now, you know, now awesome. animation keeps getting better and better and Pixar has gotten you know, more and more robust yeah. and so much, uh, you know, and, and other studios have risen to the, the gauntlet that's been thrown down by Pixar and there's just incredible stuff out there. But I always remember this so fondly as just a great year in animation. And yeah. Well, and then bird went right over to Pixar right after this, You're right? right. They snapped yeah. snapped and right right just five years after this. So he must yeah. have been making yeah, yeah. it or developing it immediately. You know, those things, the gestation is so long on a Pixar movie. He was probably already, working on it or got the gig based on mm. iron giant maybe you know because it was oh, this sure. was the toast yeah. of everybody thought this was going to be huge and <sighs> the fact that warner's just kind of buried it and didn't follow through on marketing opportunities i read something saying burger king was all ready to do a big tie-in all these things but they just didn't kind of uh, they just dragged their heels on it they thought it was going to be why were they so stupid? Why? It didn't Why? have a Steve Perry song in it, so that might have been it's one issue. What, like so many things. <laughs> my, two of my my favorite moments, there's so many, but I and I just forgot rewatching it. Because, I, again, I just love the character of Hogarth. I think the kid is so good. But um, when he does, uh, when he's hanging out with Harry Connick Jr., who, again, I, is, is great, and I love that character. He's great. I love that, like, that's great that they have, like, you know, the hep cat guy, you know, mm -hmm. the, the junk artist who listens to patch. pop music. And, yeah, they're all sort of loners, you know? They're all sort of by themselves. You got the single mom, you know, this kid who doesn't really have friends because he's really smart. Um, mm -hmm. And then this, you know, this tortured artist genius or whatever everyone's at the iron giant you know they're all sort of alone and they come together but i love when he goes to his place and uh he wants to drink the espresso <laughs> he's like i'm hip and then it just it just cuts to him just motor mouth just be like and why don't why do they want to be friends with me because i'm smart because i do my homework i thought the, he just played it so yeah. great it was just such a funny scene and harry connick jr you know the character's like oh god this i'm gonna be up all night so she moved me up a grade because I wasn't fitting in. So now I'm even more not fitting in. I was getting good grades, you know, like always. So my mom says, you need stimulation. And I go, no, I'm stimulated enough right now. That's for sure. So she goes, uh-uh, you don't have a challenge. You need a challenge. So now I'm challenged, all right? I'm challenged to hold on to my lunch money because of all the big mooses who want to pound me because I'm a shrimpy dork who thinks he's smarter than them. But I don't think I'm smarter. I just do the stupid homework. If everyone else just did the stupid homework, they could move up a grade and get pounded too. Is there any more coffee? How and why does he end up on Earth? Does the movie did the movie answer that no. and I missed it, or does it not answer no, that? I think okay. it's just by happenstance. Yeah, yeah. Like however he landed here, whatever happened on his world, and then yeah, he wasn't sent to Earth. I don't. No, I didn't, I didn't get that I impression. No. Me neither. You know? Yeah, okay. You know, I didn't and I like anything. it too because it starts very much like an old one of those old alien invasion movies would have started. You know, just something lands, a weird boom. old guy seeing something land in the field, or in this yeah. case, in the water. Oh, guess, right from the get-go, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. I, I loved the visual style of even that, the, the boat trying to get oh, to the yeah. lighthouse and yes, seeing the Iron great. Giant's eyes oh, and that, that opening sequence and, and the waves and everything. I was like, this is gorgeous. This is gorgeous. Yeah. This gorgeous is gorgeous. Animation. I had never seen this movie. Yeah. This is my first time seeing oh, it. So this is I was like, time. Yes. Oh, I was cool. like, this is beautiful. Yeah, it's, this really, movie. it's such a treat. And and he is. He's so scary in the first few times we see the Iron Giant. He is, oh, he is how everybody that. would perceive him, you know, this big threat. But, but then when he turns into the weapon that he is, it is scary. He's super scary again. Yeah. You know, that's what's that's what's so terrifying. Like he's very scary in the beginning. Then you realize that he's just this gentle. He's, he's a little kid. He's Hogarth and he's learning, that's right. you know, he's learning about everything. And and uh, but then when you see what he was really 
what he was built for, not who he chooses to be, which is such, yeah. you know, that's a, such a great part of the movie. Be like, no, you don't, you know, he, that, that was the moment actually where he starts to fly. I was like, oh, he's a, he's a weapon who just wants to be Superman. You know, that, that's it. He wants to be the hero. But then, you know, when you see what he was built to do, he, yeah. it's really scary again, which is very effective. It's great. Yeah, Brad Bird's yeah. so, so masterful because this thing is reference Palooza in a way. And it's like, you know, it's, it's so <laughs> E.T. It's so Frankenstein. It's, it comes yes. right out and shows you a Superman co- and an actual Superman yes. comic and says, yep. like Superman. And then he acts like Superman. <laughs> And then yeah. even, uh, you know, then when you see that, I, I thought of this because you said, uh, see the, the weapon that he's supposed to become with the, the Hydra, those heads that are clearly, literally War of the Worlds, right. the literally yes. they're the same technology. Very War of the but Worlds. But when you do yeah. it this well and this, it's so streamlined and so reverential and so respectful and so smart. Yeah. And it's so it's like, off. it's it's every trope pulled together yeah. to just tell a beautiful, sleek yeah. Heartfelt, efficient, sincere, and moving story. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Did you uh, did you already have this on DVD or did you rent it from Amazon? Uh, we have it. I own it, oh, okay. but I think I watched it on yeah. Hulu. Uh, just to oh, okay. I got it from Amazon and what I rented was, was uh, it didn't say director's cut, but it, said, it was something like- There is another version with like an extra- two minutes yeah I think, an extra I don't know if couple I've of scenes and i'm wondering what those extra scenes were if you guys know oh, i feel okay. like i read somewhere that it was just a couple of scenes of hogarth teaching the iron giant a few things oh okay, okay. yeah well i thought all those scenes were lovely what uh, for those of you who haven't seen the movie you know i'm going to yeah. say something about the very ending God. and i want to know what you guys think of it so that that the pieces are still i love it so spoiler alert, you do love that. I do okay. love it because they set it up early on that, you know, when, when he, the pieces come together, he kind of, he breaks apart and the pieces make their way back to him. So, yeah. yeah so you're saying like, well, he was, you know, whatever he gets, um, destroyed or seemingly destroyed by the, yeah. the atomic bomb or whatever that he flies into. I, but I guess if the component parts are, pretty indestructible, you know, that he just blew apart and, but literally blown across the planet or whatever. I don't know how far flung these pieces are, right? Isn't one, isn't yeah. he in Antarctica? Is, Ice, that, is that what it is? Yeah. So he's like all over yeah. the, the Northern I, Hemisphere. I think thematically it works too. You know, that idea. How? Of like putting That's your, my question. How does it thematically work? putting yourself work? back together, like choosing who you are, like we're, we're made up of all these different pieces, you know? And the resurrection well, myth is so is is you know that's Superman that's a million Superman things, you know, and Christ always comes back the savior. But is always. he going to in the book? You read the book, Fred? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember okay. what happens in the end. I think I, I think it only mm-hmm. works if he's resurrected as no longer a weapon. You see what well, I, I mean? Think that, oh, well, I that's bet. that's the point that I got. That, that was that's that's what I mean by the theme. That the idea is that these he's, he's chosen who he wants yeah. to be. He doesn't want to be a weapon. He wants to be right. Superman. He wants to be a good person, a friend. You know, and I think. Now that he's done that, these pieces are going to come back. The I mean, I don't get that. I don't get a sense of dread from the pieces oh, coming no. back together. No, I get no, a feeling no. of like, no, that's he's, not what I'm now saying. he is his true self. They're going to come back together. They're going to find each other and he's going to and be he'll his. he'll never be that weapon again? I think not because he makes the choice. I mean, he's, he comes out and he says, I am not a gun. But there is the moment because you do see multiple times you see that thing where if a gun 
is pulled Jim, on and he, yeah, the, the, the eyes get small and red and he becomes yeah. the weapon and, and it has to be, he, he has to be, something has to deactivate him. But there is the one moment where he stops himself. Himself. And yeah. that's yeah. where it's like, it's very he much like no. the, the MCU Incredible Hulk thing where it's like he controls the anger. It's like, I might have this in me, but I'm learning right. how to control it and I can turn it okay. on and off. And I think that's the, what we're supposed to get is that when we see him yeah. for a split second con- actively control it, we're like, oh, okay. He we don't do worry anymore now. that he can't, yeah. he may want to make the choice, but can't make the choice. We've seen him actively make that choice and stop himself. So yeah, I'm with you. I, I just, I just wondered if the ending would have been more powerful it, it, it had he actually sacrificed himself and is gone, gone. You know what I mean? I just wonder what that would have, the weight of that, just seeing that final little statue of mm-hmm. him that the Harry Connick Jr. character makes and that they revere him and, and he saved us and sacrificed himself <laughs> and end of, and end of movie. I just, I just well, wonder how that would have, you know, it, it, cause I it, wasn't it, expecting that ending. And right at the end, I was like, did we need it? Did we need that co- that coda? Well, in the you know, yeah, I find it very moving. I get, very, I get choked up when I when I see those okay. when I see that leg hopping. Just because, again, it's about <laughs> you know, I, I you know, putting yourself back together no, it's again. So and it, it, it is. It's, it's so, so nice, beautiful. and you just feel like you know that that you can have second chances. I guess you know you can right. you can you can choose your own destiny and this yeah. is the iron giant getting to do that and you like seeing legs hop because you you were always a big fan of robert <laughs> klein what true with the i, I can't, can't stop, stop my leg. leg what the fuck are you talking about oh my God. i also have that weird amputee fetish thing no well that goes you know? without saying and he yeah, dated michael so. flatley <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> For a brief time in the 90s. God, those legs moving just like crazy. Lord, Lord of the dance. dance. Um, yeah, and you know, the thing is, they probably could have just ended with the statue. Da- I think what's ironic, yeah. ironic giant. What, what's ironic oh, is that I think they were like, well, we've got to create an opportunity. We have to leave the door open sequel. for a sequel. Yeah. And then they, right. they oh, marketed yeah. it like they didn't give two shits about it. And there was never a sequel. <laughs> The thing made twenty million dollars. So, yeah. yeah, I usually don't read too much background stuff about the movies before we do the mm-hmm. podcast. But in this case, I did read one article um, because I, again, such a fan of Brad Bird, and he did say in this in this um, uh, one article, he was like, "Yeah, I I got to take some of the rap for." why iron giants marketing didn't didn't go the way you know didn't go the way um that that uh, everybody th- um thought it should have gone part part of it is um uh on me um uh, you can cut this but i have to i i have to get the specific um um article here so that i can uh uh quote it so you can cut this little me searching for it or leave it in Okay. Warners was intending to put the film on the shelf and wait for a slow spot at some future date and they could slip it out there. And when the film got a huge response at a test screening, they had not laid the groundwork for it. To their credit, they knew they had to delay the release and lay the correct track for it. And I stupidly said, no. 
I was feeling cocky because the scores were so good. And I said, just put it out there. They did. And no one knew what the hell it was. I'll take part ownership in pushing it out into the world too soon as well. They offered to do what was necessary. And I bulldozed them. All the calculations were that if we had 8 million on the opening weekend, word of mouth would carry it the rest of the way. It made 5 million and we were DOA. Wow. So they knew that the studio knew it had something special and we're like, we got to wait on this and we got to market it correctly and slip it out there when there's no other competition. And and we got to, and he was like, no, put it out now, put it out now. Ah, interesting. And so he takes some of the rap for it. You son of a bitch. How many Sheila's do you give it, Fred or Rick? I'm going to give it a 10 Sheila. Holy macaroni. Yeah, I love it. I think I am too. I love it. It's one, it's. Oh it's just my great. God. I will I will go 0.5 less and give it a 9.5. Yeah. I don't know why, I don't know how, and I don't know which. I think you have I think you have actual 5. issues with the ending. And I think that's legit. I, yeah. I, I, that I, makes sense. I, I I I I just have a wonder and a curiosity about what mm. what it says as opposed to what it would have said had he not come back together had the inference not been made that he comes back together at the end and and i just question which is the more powerful message given given the theme of the movie and i and i literally question i don't know which is you know quote right i don't know if there is a right or in, in you've in always art. you've never liked robots robots scare you as much as fish you <laughs> like to see them blown up yeah D- dan is afraid of fish i'm sorry i don't think we've yeah. ever said that in the podcast before fish terrified yes. but you're also yes. you ran out of the room small wonder used to come on the tv and you'd run screaming yeah. and, okay. and and abe vigoda used to show up uh, as <laughs> as fish and, and we'd be like but dan that's not an actual fish he looks like a fish you'd be like that's enough for me Sorry, nobody knows. Nobody knows who Fish is. I'm incredibly old. Listen, he was married to Bernice. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Bernice, and he's like, Bernice, give me the thing. Uh, Wait, can we go off the set? Why are you so scared of Fish, Dan? Okay, here's the thing with Fish. <laughs> there's a there's an entity who lives underneath the earth called Satan, and what Satan did, you know, was he created uh, hell. And then when he was done doing that, he was like, hmm, what shall the spawn of this evil place be that has seven layers to it? And I'll, like I'll dig down. I'll dig like a seven layer dip. I'll dig down or into a burrito the burrito at Taco Bell. Exactly. I'll dig down into the bean into the into the bean paste of the earth and pull out the most hideous, disgusting, horrible thing. Oh, it's all manner of fish. And then I'll put those in Earth's oceans. And uh, whenever whenever Dan Matisse goes into a body of water from here on out, he'll have to worry about these hideous, hideous, ugly demon spawn of the seventh level of hell of Satan uh, nipping at him and 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 skirting by. Yeah, but there had to be Horribly something had disgusting. To Did a fish do something to you as a child? That's usually where these fears come from. Okay, three things. One. <laughs> We used to go crabbing. Yes. Did you ever go crabbing? No. Yeah. See, I'd be more scared of crabs than fish. I'm not talking about you, who you dated in college, Fred. I'm talking about oh. actually going down. I don't know. I don't remember who you dated. I'm talking about going down to the Jersey Shore, getting in a boat, and paddling out there and sticking a line out the side of the boat and bringing in a crab. Have you ever done that? No. Okay. I'm sorry, I know you don't have This is the audience interaction part of uh, the Springsteen's Broadway show. (laughs) You ever go crabbing in Jersey? 
Do a show of hands. You put the line over the side. Take it, Clarence. No comments, comments. That was a saxophone solo for 20 minutes. So my uncle brings up a, 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 a crab trap, which is like a box, like a metal box. And you put a piece of chicken or what, a piece of moss bunker in there, moss yep. bunker, and you pull that up. And hopefully you have a crab in there. He pulled it up. Not a crab in there. Is Moss Bunker near the Tashi station? <laughs> By any chance? Uh, I left my power converters there. But Moss Bunker co-piloted the uh, Twin Pod cloud car, if I'm not mistaken. Moss Bunker was uh, the illegitimate <laughs> child of Archie and Edith on all the family. <laughs> oh, Jesus, <Jay-Z>, Moss. <laughs> And then he teamed, up, Koto, uh, believe, he, right? te- he teamed up with George S. Kaufman to write uh, The Royal Family. So all of those the, things come out of the, the box. The, <laughs> the audience has turned yeah. this off. They, they, no. Between A Pagoda and George S. Kaufman references, they, we've really We finished the reviewing young. the two movies. This is all gone. This is for, yeah. this is for Fred's this is, edification about your hatred of fish. And it'll go on to, this will go on to like, a, you know. At some point, we'll be like, oh, we need filler. And I'll be like, I have a file right here. <laughs> Put it on the best of. Put it on the best of. This is past. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're past the paywall. We are past the paywall now. Okay. So wait. All right. My so this Uncle thing comes Jack, up. What's it? Yeah. My Uncle Jack pulls up the crab trap. And inside of this thing is the ugliest, most hideous. It looked like a mud skipper, but it was bigger and like gnarlier and had bumps on it. And it started doing this. It started going... Like that, it started like snapping, snapping in the air, like biting. And I was like, "What the? What? What is that? What is that?" It was a fish. It was horrifying, horrifying. It looked like it had come out of the muck of the earth. And my uncle said, "Oh, that's just a clam cracker. I'll throw it back. I'll put it back." It was this fish called a clam cracker. Now, I, now here's the the nutty thing. I don't remember if this is a dream or not. This may have been okay. a dream, or a, aka a nightmare. Number two. Another time, similar, similar thing happened, and a blowfish, one of those puffer fish, came up in yeah. that fucking thing. You'd catch all kinds of crazy shit in there. And it started to blow up and had the spines on it and blow up. And, and we were like, oh, throw it back, throw it back. And he threw that back. These horrifying things happen. But that, and again, I don't 100% remember if they're accurate or if they're dreams or if they actually happen, but I remember them like they were yesterday. But the third one I know happened. I'm at uh, uh, a place called Typhoon Lagoon, which is affiliated with, it's a Disney property. I don't know if it's still there, but it's a water park, right? It's down down in Florida. I was a kid. By kid, I was probably 17. But I was, it it was, it was, you know, I, I, no, I was probably like 12 or 13 or something. Okay. They had a snorkeling tank there, right? And what you do is you, they give you the fins, they give you the mask and the snorkel, and you sort of skim along the top of it, right? You can't dive down, you'll die. So you skim along the top of it. And I was like, hey, this today's the day. Today's the day I will conquer my fear of fish. Cause there's all fish down there, right? And I've never been snorkeling. And you go, you know, you get in this thing. First of all, it's ice, ice cold. Cause the fish have to be an actual, you know, whatever temperature it would be. And I'm going across, and the fucking snorkel is right next to my ear, and it's going, 
it's like Darth Vader's right next to me. And so that's horrifying. I'm, I'm freezing cold and this breathing, my own breathing is in my air as I'm looking down at all of these fish down there, but they're fairly well below me. And I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm halfway across the pool. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And every once in a while, something brushes past me. And I don't know if it's another swimmer or a fish, but I'm like, <laughs> I do one of those. And I'm like, okay, I'm still alive. I'm still making it. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And in front of me, right by the exit to this fucking thing, is a school, is a wall of fish, just a school of them. And I'm like, I can't, I'm not, I can't go through that. I can't go through there. So I make a right turn, which you are not supposed to do. You are supposed to swim, swim in one direction towards the exit. And I turn to the right and to the wall of this thing and in my flippers and mask, climb over that, climb out of the pool and over the wall that is there. It's like a, it's like a fence or a wall that's like the border of this thing. And they're like, sir, sir, is everything all right? Sir, sir, are you okay? And I'm crying and I take the mask off and I'm like, oh God, is that, the fish is too many fish. And my mother and sister come over, they're laughing hysterical oh, because I'm uh, dying. They're like, what the? Hell happened. I was like, it's too many fish. I can't, I can't do it. And to this day, to this day, it is the, it is a story told around the fire at my house, usually at holiday time oh. of seeing me make a right turn in this fucking thing and flip and flipper myself out of there in full, you know, wow. creature of the black lagoon. Speaking of animated movies, can you watch Finding Nemo? I have a problem with it. I have a problem with it. I have a problem with fish. I will eat a fish, but if it has a head or a tail on it, goodbye. I will leave the county that that restaurant is in. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like the part in Finding Nemo. Isn't there a part with the little light? Oh, yeah. There's a fish (laughs) that has a light on it, and then there's a big hole. You know what's incredibly frightening is we talked about it earlier tonight. The the Phantom Menace when they're under that water. And those mm. fish are Giant fucking around fish, with them yeah. down there. I hate that sequence. This is very, very bad. Here's the worst. A, uh, piranha. B, <laughs> any sort of ugly, like fish with an ugly face or an unusual face. Mm-hmm. No can do. C. It's not their fault. I don't give a shit. C, seahorses. <laughs> fucking demon spawn. That shouldn't <laughs> exist. Whatever the fuck made that. Seahorses are that... <laughs> does not shouldn't be on the earth. What, what if is it's written that? by Aquaman? That's an, gonna say, <laughs> hey, can you watch Aquaman? I mean, I can't watch Aquaman. It's terrible. Don't watch Aquaman. <laughs> Barely. So that's the story. Wow. I have. Wow. Uh, it, it is a. How phobia. many Sheilas do we give Dan's story about I, I, his uh, phobia of fish? That's a, that's a solid seven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me think. What did I? What did I give Mama Mia? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give it lower uh, than that. <laughs> it was a long story. It was pointless. Let's think of the movies that that story was akin to. Oh, nothing. No. It was better than nothing but trouble. Yeah, story. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Were it better than it's Pat? If no. For my money, yes. <laughs> for my money, yeah. yeah Not better than she's the one. Yeah, better than she's As the one. way better than anything's better than me telling a story of my toe fungus is better than she's the one. <laughs> it's better than Meet Wally Sparks. It's better than. Uh, oh, you got to name a middling movie that's better. Is it better than Simon Birch? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Maybe. Actually, more more heartfelt, yeah. more more yes. heartrending. More heartfelt, yeah. yeah. Okay, Absolutely. more heartfelt than it that. Be than Meryl Streep cancer movie. It might be better than that whole week's movies. <laughs> 
<laughs> one true thing, Rush Hour and Simon Birch. Oof, what a slog. <laughs> oh, God, those were that, the other movies that, that was week? The week. Go back and listen to episode something something and then erase it <laughs> because you never need to hear that one again. Uh, no, we have fun talking about it. We did. Unless Go back and listen. Go back and yeah. listen to all the episodes. Please. Where can you listen to them, Dan? They can listen to them on the face face, the time time <laughs> tick, tick tick. They can listen to them on the eye eye face. You're so close. And on the, the tunes and on the tunes tunes. Tune face. You know where to listen. You if know. you're listening to this you, podcast, yeah, you, found you know it where somewhere. to go. So why do we yeah, have to tell you where to listen to it? You're listening right now. iTunes, I listen Spotify. on uh, I listen on Grubhub from now every once in a while. <laughs> I order the podcast. It comes to my door, and I don't tip the guy. <laughs> you son of a bitch! Thank you again for listening to the fish story. Join us next time. <laughs> As we travel back, you know, we've been, you know, this was 1999, last time is 2008. We're traveling back to the 80s again, and that year, Yay. we like to go back to this year a lot, 1984. We travel back to August 17th, 1984, and the release of the very first film to receive the now ubiquitous PG-13 rating. We talked about it <gasps> in an early Nine episode. Nine and a half weeks? <laughs> no. Uh, no. That's filth. That's, a, that's an <laughs> NC something or other. No, oh. Dreamscape. Starring Dennis Quaid and Capsha, as well as the oh comic strip God. adaptation Sheena, starring Tanya mm. Roberts, right? Tanya, Tanya Roberts, Roberts and, and our favorite Ted Wass. Ted Wass of Oh God, You Devil <laughs> fame, also from 1984. That was a big. And his pe and his penis straining against his uh, khakis, right? Isn't that? <laughs> That's and it. You, you mentioned yeah. that. The, There's a big boner. And, uh, and the yeah. third film is The Woman in Red, starring Gene Wilder and Kelly the LeBron. The Woman in Red, The Woman in Red, The Woman in Red. Sorry, that was the theme yeah, song. I've never seen any of these movies. Not on no, TV, cable, video, nothing. Is it weird that I've seen all of them? I, it oh, so it makes perfect sense that you've seen all of them. <laughs> and next week, I'm going to hear the name Josh Kleinberg 17 times. It's going to be like, yeah, yeah. Like he had a VHS, his mom had a coupon, and we snuck into a cave. There's going to be a bunch of stories about we the weird ways the village you've bath club. We projected it onto someone's back at the Village Bath Club. Oh, this is prime Village Bath Club I, time, I think. 1984, yeah. the summer. Scrub up. Scrub up. <laughs> yes, Scrub we, are, up. we are in for a schlocktastic oh. week of movie watching oh. next time on opening weekend. It'll be fun. Uh, Dan, what you got for us? Ah. Okay. I was thinking about this. The theme. It, there's fish. a lot of good songs in. in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the theme from the fish that saved Pittsburgh. No, the, the uh, Gabe Kaplan we'll, we'll making do... a comeback to the podcast too. There you Finally. go. Finally, finally. No, uh, what we'll do is since the the wonderful cookies that they made were called Hello Dollies, oh, yes. we'll do a little Hello Dolly. What do you think of that? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Ms. Channing, that dress is ruined. Can we get another dress in here for Ms. Channing? Dick? I don't remember eating any dick. (laughs) Jesus. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Thank you.